0: Welcome to Brighton Road this morning. It's good to see you all smiling and happy. Um, and it's good to welcome those who are at home, uh, online, who are watching us. And um, we're all one family. And it's great to be together uh, on this Sunday morning, especially especially as a – thank you – especially as a morning like this with the sun and the, uh, the blue sky. It's great. And uh, I'd just like to uh, start with a, with a with a brief prayer so let's uh, come together in prayer the night has passed and the day lies open before us as we rejoice in the gift of the new day so may the light of your presence o god set our hearts on fire with love for you now and forever amen and in that light let's um Let's join together and sing uh, Songs of Fellowship 465, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus our Blessed Redeemer. It's a great a great hymn written by uh, a lady called Fanny Crosby, and I did look her up on Google yesterday. Uh, she's a remarkable woman. She uh, was born with no disability uh, at the age of Six weeks, she caught a disease which left her without any sight for the rest of her life, and yet she went on to be uh, a marvellous representative for her lord. She wrote hymns, she wrote poems, she became active in uh, in women's rights, she worked tirelessly for the poor, Uh, and she died at the age of 96 uh, after a fantastic life, and if you get a chance to read her biography, do so because she is inspiring. And this is one of her her hymns, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus, Our Blessed Redeemer. A great start to this morning, so let's uh, go for it. It's a great way to start this morning in praise to our Lord. I'd just like to read to you a psalm, Psalm 121. It's a quieter psalm. It's a reflective psalm, but it's full of truth. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. A wonderful psalm full of assurance and promise. And we're going to sing three songs, um, which I hope you'll find. Uh, tunes in with that with that song. We're going to sing a scribe greatness, which is about the the Lord, the Rock, whose uh, work is perfect. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and we acknowledge that our Lord is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And be bold, be strong. Now there are actions to this, and some of you may know them. I'm afraid I'm not very good at actions, but if you do know them, please join in, and maybe Marion and and, uh, Louise will will do some actions for us. Um, (laughs) um, But it's it's an assurance that God is with us, um, and we don't have to be afraid. So uh, let's sing these uh, three songs. Let's stand and... uh, A picture up there of leaves, and you know why I put a picture of leaves up there, um, because it's autumn, and the equinox was a couple of days ago, and uh, we're now in this wonderful season that I absolutely adore, and um, for me it's it's a wonderful time because it's a time of um, in a way, uh, being able to look back over the last year and now starting to look forward to the season of Advent and shh, I'm not mentioning the C word, um, but Advent comes at the end of, of, of our autumn period. But it's a time now I think of rest and looking forward as well as actually looking back. And there was that wonderful poem, which I'm not going to read out to you, um, because it's incredibly long, but you know about it, Season of Fruits uh, and Mellow Fruitfulness, um, written by John Keats. But that's a poem uh, about time, and how we're walking and moving through time, and how this month and the next few months in autumn give us an opportunity an opportunity to look back and see what we've done in this last nine months and where we're going for the next few months and into the new year and in I, I, in the years to come. And it's a wonderful time, but it, it's a time when I find there's a little bit more opportunity for peace and quiet. We're not rushing around as we are in spring. We're not lying around as we are in July and August, enjoying the sun and all the rest of it, we're actually being able to reflect and look forward. Now, the schools are back, and the schools are beginning to sort of uh, wind and ramp up for half-term and then um, Advent, and um, the university students are back and learning new things, looking forward, and uh, we've got harvest to come, and then we've got the, um, the beginning of the leaves falling, which is why I put them up there. And then everything seems to go quiet uh, and everything is dormant and we can look forward and make our plans and make uh, our ideas uh, and our prayers for where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing. And I would just say that we've got a church meeting this coming week. Um, This isn't a plug and Tim didn't know I was going to plug this but there is a church meeting this coming week. And obviously um, the more people who are there To be able to pray together and and come together and discuss uh, is uh, is encouraged. But autumn, wonderful month, lovely month of fruitfulness and mellowness. Time to reflect, time to look forward, time to be uh, preparing for Advent and then on into the new year. So it's not gloomy time, it's a wonderful time. A time for peace, a time for quiet. Um, I've chosen a hymn for the um, children to leave us because I think they'll be going to their uh, classes. But having said that, I thought they they could leave to Abba Father. Uh, And we'll sing Abba Father through twice and the children will be able to leave uh, and go out. And then I'd ask you to continue standing because... Uh, I'm going to ask us that we say together the creed, Uh, something that perhaps we don't do that often in the um, free churches and certainly in this church, but I would like us to join together uh, and say the creed, and and for your information, it's the Nicene Creed, so it's the one that's acceptable to um, all denominations, I'm told, Um, so don't feel um, uh, embarrassed or, or worried about it, but I think it's good that we come together as a church as a fellowship here today uh, and actually just acknowledge our faith and our belief and, and reaffirm uh, where we stand. So let's sing Abba Father and the youngsters can leave us and bless you, have a good time in your in your uh, school Sunday school and we'll sing Abba Father. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, Begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified unto Pontius Pilate. seated. I'm going to ask that we remain seated and sing um, Songs of Fellowship number 40, which is Be Still uh, and Know That I Am God. Use this as a reflective uh, piece uh, to join your... Uh, be still. Yeah, that's one. No, I don't. No, be Still um, is a reflective uh, a reflective tune uh, uh, and hymn, and I want us to think about uh, where we are, and I want us to think, uh, because we're going to have the reading from Luke, which is Luke 16, 19 to 31, if you uh, want to look it up, uh, and then we're going to have our prayers of intercession. So just be quiet. and and think about the words that we're going to sing, uh, and then uh, we'll have the, the reading, and Ken will come.
1: As David said, our reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, and we're reading from verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. (coughs) Amen. Let's turn to prayer, shall we? And we bring our prayers for our world, for the church. God, at the end of what has been a momentous two weeks for our nation, as we have mourned the death of Queen Elizabeth, who was our faithful sovereign for 70 years, we bring before you King Charles and Camilla, our Queen Consort, and the whole royal family. We admire them enormously for the immense dignity and courage they displayed whilst conducting themselves in the glaring eye of the global media during such a painful period in their lives. And we ask you to remember them and to be close to them as they now privately grieve the very personal loss of their mother, grandmother and great-grandmother. We ask you will grant them peace, rest and time to process all that has happened over these recent weeks and we lift to you also all of those who mourn at this time whether that loss be recent or in the past we know that grief does not follow time and our hearts are ever changed when we lose someone that we love we thank you for all of those who have died in faith and who are now at rest with you and whose example we strive to follow in our daily walk with you. Gracious Father, we bring before you the universal church, all of those brought together as one through faith in your Son. Lord, help your church to be the place of love and unity that you had planned. And may your people be united, living out their love for you and for one another. Help us to listen well, to put our differences aside for your glory. When disharmony arises, show us how to look back at the cross and remember what you have done for us. Help us always to place you at the centre of church life and to keep our eyes trained on you. We lift to you all of those around the world who are persecuted for their faith for whom life can be dangerous for simply following the path that you have set before them. We pray for those who may be struggling with their faith, those who do not yet know you, and those whom you are calling, but for whom taking the next step feels like a challenge and fear threatens to overcome them. God of justice, we pray for the leaders of all nations. We pray especially for our new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who has faced so many immense challenges within her two weeks in office. We pray that she and all those who hold responsibility in our government for the safety, security and welfare of our country will listen carefully to those who advise them, put party politics and self-interest aside and make wise decisions on behalf of all the communities across our nation. We pray also for those leaders who are working hard for peace in all nations, and we especially lift before you the conflict in Ukraine. We pray for strength, resilience, and safety for the Ukrainian people as they endure this unimaginable situation that has been forced upon them. Father, we are increasingly concerned about the role and indeed the mindset of President Putin following his announcement in the last week that seem only focused on escalating the situation in Ukraine and further increasing the hostility between Russia and the rest of the world. We pray earnestly, Lord, that you will intervene and that somehow he may turn back from this dangerous road on which he has embarked. We recognize the intense sensitivity and fragility that surrounds this whole situation and pray that you will strengthen, guide and protect those who would seek to bring about peace and resolution to this conflict. God, who hears us, we pray for those who are in any sort of need, those known to us and those known only to you. Let us hold lightly to what you have given us, our time and our possessions. Help us to give to others where we can so that the needs of all are met through you. Help us, Lord, to see what may not be clear and to hear what may not be said so that we may be led to sit beside those you want us to see. Not that we might try to fix them, but that we might see them and be with them and love them. Lord of truth, help us to be honest with ourselves and with one another. Give us courage to speak out when we are struggling and to ask for prayer when we are in need. Give us the discipline and courage to seek you in all that we do. And may what we do always be for your glory. Lord, will you graciously accept and hear our prayers this day for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ.
0: concerns of this world. Before Tim comes to bring the message uh, and what God has laid on his heart to to bring to us, perhaps we could sing together that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, the faithful God who we have heard through this morning uh, comes to us and is with us in our meeting and in our church this morning. So let's sing Great Thy Faithfulness.
2: Thank you very much indeed. You know, as far as disturbing parables go, I reckon the story of the rich man and Lazarus is right up there with the best of them. It has vivid descriptions of the contrasting fates of the beggar and the rich man, both in this life and in the next. They are memorably shocking. Normally, we kind of put visuals up uh, for sermons, but I wouldn't want to show you Lazarus' separating sores or the rich man being tormented in flames, so I will leave those details to your imagination. But keep your imagination in check. Don't want you coming over faint or anything. But the rich man has the most expensive clothing. He sits down to a splendid banquet every single day. At his gate lies a beggar his body covered in sores. Such is the beggar's hunger he longs to have just some of the crumbs or the debris of food that fall from the rich man's table. But instead, all that happens is the dogs come and lick his sores. The dogs who may have eaten the scraps from the rich man's table. There is something obscene about this extreme juxtaposition of appalling poverty and extreme wealth. But in the life to come, the positions of the rich man and the beggar are completely reversed. Here in the place of the dead, the NIV says hell, it's actually Hades, the place of the dead. Here in the place of the dead, the rich man is perpetually tor- tortured in flames of fire. And whereas Lazarus was starving to death, the rich man now finds himself so tormented with heat and thirst. But the prospect of Lazarus just dipping his finger in water to cool the rich man's tongue. Ah, how he longs for such relief. But that can never happen. Lazarus is safe now. With Father Abraham hugging him close to his chest. And although the rich man can see Abraham and talk to him, the gulf that separates him from Abraham and Lazarus, can never be bridged. And there is a kind of poetic justice in their respective fates. The rich man had good things in this life, and his corresponding fate is to be in anguish in the next. The poor man, on the other hand, suffered immeasurably in this life, and accordingly, he's comforted in the next. On the face of it, The basic principle seems to be that the more comfortable you are here, the more you're going to pay for it there. Which is quite an unwelcome thought for those of us in the West who have been very comfortable in this life. Thank you very much. But it packs a powerful challenge. In our global village, we ignore poverty on our doorstep at our peril. And yet at the same time, we need to understand that this parable is not the place to come for accurate details concerning the afterlife, how that's going to work. If you want to know what heaven and hell are like, paradise and Hades, then this parable is not the place to come. How can I be so sure? Well, look at the stylized language of verse 22. The poor man dies and is carried by angels to Abraham's side is that really what happens when someone dies? Yeah. Don't think so, brother. <laughs> it is a highly stylized picture of what happens when somebody dies. It happens like that in works of fiction, and that is what we're dealing with here. And let's not forget either, this is the third rich man story that we find in Luke's gospel. The first... Is the rich man who decides the only way he can accommodate his immense wealth is to pull down his barns and build bigger ones. His life was taken from him that very night. The second rich man is the one who summarily dismisses his manager when the manager is accused of dishonesty and then ends up congratulating the same manager because of that dishonesty. For his shrewdness in the way which he responded to losing his job even though it cost the rich man a tidy sum in the process. These are fictional parables told by Jesus. And this is a third. It's another story about a rich man. It's The kind of story that you could almost begin with the words, once upon a time, there was a rich man who dressed finely and dined sumptuously every single day. It's that kind of tale. And all the vivid details about the contrasting fates of the rich man and the poor man in this life and in the life to come are part of the window dressing of the parable. If we are to look for a point in the story, you won't find it in the fiery flames tormenting the rich man or in Lazarus getting a comforting hug from Father Abraham. In this respect, it's a bit like a shaggy dog story. All kinds of fascinating details on the way, none of which are really pertinent to the unexpectedly downbeat ending. The literary trope that we have here, contrasting the fate of a righteous poor man with a wicked rich man, was well known. The ancient world, it would have been familiar to Luke and his readers. There was an Egyptian tale of a father and son attending the solemn funeral of a rich man and the pitiful burial of a poor man. And the father said to himself, Ah, I wish, I want to share the fate of the rich man in the afterlife. And the son takes him on a tour of the world of the dead. And there he sees the poor man wearing the rich man's clothes which he'd been given as a reward for his good deeds in this life. or well, the punishment of the rich man were for his, was for his eye to be the socket in which the hinge of the door to the place of the dead opened and closed everybody t- every time somebody went in. Jewish tradition had similar stories. In one, a pious Jew receives a beggar's funeral while the funeral of a rich tax collector's son is ten- attended by the entire city. In this case, A friend of the pious Jew is shown in a dream how the beggar is resting in a garden beside a spring of water while the rich man's son is tormented by thirst with a river of water just out of reach of his tongue. And there are enough resonances between these stories for people to recognize, yes, this is the kind of tale that Jesus is telling, and to listen to it in an appropriate way. In a morality story the details of the story are there for entertainment, rather than having a didactic or teaching purpose. And anyway, how do you know what happens in the realm of the dead? In such stories, the knowledge, the understanding, the insight comes to people in a variety of ways. Someone might have a dream. Someone might be taken on a guided tour of the underworld. Someone might have a visitation from someone from the dead who tells them this is what it's really like. Rather like a Scrooge having a visitation from Marley in Dickens' Christmas Carol. And that's where Jesus wrong-foots his audience, because the parable takes an unexpected turn. When people were listening to Jesus telling this story, when the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus to go and warn his brothers what awaits them unless they change their ways, their expectation would be that this is what's going to happen. Lazarus would, would go, appear to the rich man's brothers and say, Look! This is what it's like when you die. This is why you need to change your ways. That's how people would know what was going to happen after you died. It would be Lazarus' ghostly apparition to one or more of the brothers that would provide the nominal basis for their knowledge of the afterlife and the basis for their repentance. But troublingly, disturbingly, Abraham point blank refuses the rich man's request. There will be no special revelation to his brothers. Abraham is not prepared to go the extra mile to save them. You don't find grace at the end of this parable. There is no special provision to give them an extra opportunity for repentance. And Abraham's rationale is clear enough. They've got Moses and the prophets. What more do they need? Everything they need to know is there. It's down to them to access it, to process it, and to respond accordingly. The responsibility for how we respond to what we know rests with us. And in Moses and the prophets, the choice is set out very clearly indeed. There are two ways you can choose. You can choose the way that leads to death or you can choose the path that leads to life. What those options entail is unambiguously spelt out and the call to everyone is crystal clear. Choose life! But the rich man in the parable did not choose life. He and his brothers chose wealth the warnings in scripture were disregarded perhaps they were too busy having a good time to pay any attention perhaps they just thought the teachings of Moses and the prophets were were for the little people and they were in a class of their own perhaps they thought their wealth was a God given sign that God was looking upon them with favour it didn't really matter what they do as long as the wealth kept coming in they weren't doing anything wrong perhaps they just couldn't be bothered to read the scriptures for themselves or to listen when they attended the local synagogue perhaps they didn't bother going to the synagogue but whatever the case everything they needed to know was there in Moses and the prophets it was freely and readily available to them but they'd ignored it and then he attempted to plead ignorance on their part would carry no weight at all. We didn't know. Well, you should have done. You should have done. Ignorance is not an adequate excuse. Everything they needed to know was there. They just chose to ignore it. But the rich man, the rich man doesn't give up just yet. He issues a second plea to Abraham. Yes, yes, I know they have Moses and the prophets, and they paid no attention to them. But, but if someone were to appear to them from the dead, then they would repent, wouldn't they? Abraham's response to that is crushing. (laughs) If they pay no attention to Moses and the prophets then someone rising from the dead, even if someone should rise from the dead, that would make no difference to them whatsoever. Oh, my word. That last sentence transports us straight out of the story into Jesus' own awareness that his own forthcoming resurrection wouldn't sway the hearts and minds of those who'd made up their minds to reject his teaching. There is none so blind as those who will not see. There is no shortcoming in the clarity of God's communication to us. The question is, are we ready to listen and to believe and to respond? God has spoken. How receptive are we? Sometimes people say, well, why doesn't God prove to us that he's real? Well, God has raised his son from the dead. Jesus. Amen. That's good. What more do you need? What more do you want? Often it's our attitude that is at the root of our unbelief. And some people don't believe, not because they can't, but because they don't want to. And that was the case with the five brothers of the rich man. How does St. Paul put it? Everything we need to know about God has been made absolutely clear to us. And that means if we choose not to respond, then we are without excuse. So make no mistake, we will all be held accountable for our lives. But God has given us the testimony of Scripture, God has given us His own Son, crucified and risen from the dead for us. By trusting in Him, we are saved. That is the good news. There is not a direct reversal. Rich people get punished, poor people get saved. It is our response to Jesus Christ and his teaching that will be the test of our lives. That's the good news, that's the opportunity for salvation and we are judged on the basis of our response to it. It is freely available and it is widely known. Have you responded to the good news of Jesus? Or what about this generation? In decades to come, we will be judged for our response or lack of it to the crisis of climate change. The evidence against us in terms of the long-term damage we're doing to our planet is crystal clear. And we shall be judged not just by posterity, but by God himself for the damage we are doing. Because the evidence is crystal clear. How do we respond to it? At a personal level, all of us will be held accountable for how we use the material and personal resources that God has entrusted to us. Your life is not your own to do with as you please. We are called by God to use the gift of life that he's given to us to support each other, to care for each other, to look after each other. The call to repentance, to turn around, is to turn away from our own instinctive tendency towards self-interest, self-preservation, self-promotion, self-indulgence, and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Be outward-looking, God-inward-looking. Not, what can I get, but how can I give? So who is your neighbour? How are you treating them? Jesus said the measure you use will be the measure you get. That was certainly the case with the rich man in the parable. Ignoring Lazarus at his gate, ignored when he pleads for water in the life to come. What needs to change about the way in which you treat other people? What needs to change about your attitude towards climate change? What needs to change in terms of your response to God and the good news of Jesus Christ? What needs to change in terms of your readiness to engage with Scripture, Moses and the prophets and the New Testament, where what God wants, what God says is abundantly clear? But do we engage with it? Do we respond to it? God has given you his word God has given you his son you don't need anything more it's down to you now whether you will engage with what God has said whether you will accept what God has done through his son whether you will turn and choose life putting your trust in Jesus living in accordance with his teaching. Loving your neighbour as yourself. God's spoken. God's done his bit. God's given us everything necessary for our salvation. How will you respond? If we are disturbed, let's recognise that's precisely what Jesus intended to do in telling this parable. Lord, where we need to change, make that very clear to us. we are set in our ways, would you turn us around? Prompt us by your spirit to listen to you, to trust you, to obey you, to honour you. Thank you for giving us life. Help us to choose life and to live our lives for you and for our neighbour. May we be people who walk in your ways, who fulfil your will. people who embody the kingdom and make you known through our words and through our deeds. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord of the church, we pray are uh, we doing? Shall we join together in the words of the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of